Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Fenway Park in Boston. It's the Red Sox 4, the Guardians 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And unfortunately, yes, we do end up splitting the series with the Red Sox. Uh, you know, a four-game series, it's hard to win. It's a lot of baseball. And now we've come out of the break. We split two against the White Sox, and now we split two against the Boston Red Sox. And we move on tonight to face Tampa Bay. And it's going to be a test down there in Tampa. Uh, it, it was a last year. I, I feel like I remember last year that Tampa was a, a pivotal series in us kind of fading away from the playoff picture, right? They, they had that, uh, they no hit us in the first half of the seven inning doubleheader. Right, It just seemed like we couldn't get the offense going at all down there in Tampa. But we'll have to do it. we got to keep this thing rolling. I mean, we are definitely playing uh, in-contention baseball. Uh, So let's see if we can keep it rolling against Tampa Bay. Uh, But before that, we got to talk about the end of this Red Sox series. So we go down 4-2. It was the kind of night where neither offense was really going. Neither offense really really had much to show. I mean, we don't even have a lot of hard-hit balls in this game on either side. Guardians pitching gave up five hit hard-hit balls the entire game. The Red Sox pitching gave up seven hard-hit balls the entire game. I mean, it's not like either team was really smoking it around, having bad bat-bip luck. It just was a quiet offensive night on both sides. Uh, so let's get into it. We'll get into the storylines of the game. I think the top storyline of the game is McKenzie was pitching at an ace level the first two times through the lineup. For about the first five innings of the game, McKenzie was at an ace level. He ends up going seven innings. He gives up six hits, four earned runs, one walk to six strikeouts. It's one home run that really hurts him. 91 pitches. He's hard hit four times. One one mistake. One mistake really cost them this game. Yeah, they end up hitting them in the seventh, right? They put one off the monster for another run in the seventh. But that three-run home run to Xander Bogarts in the sixth inning really cost them. Now, I wanted to look this up. Is this something that happens to McKenzie often, right? Uh, The baseball reference has good numbers, good splits on times through the lineup. The first time through the lineup, hitters are hitting 193 off him with a 600 OPS. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is 4.44. Pretty good stuff that first time through the lineup. Second time through the lineup, they're hitting 196 off him. They've got a 647 OPS. Slightly higher on base percentage. He does give up more walks the second time through the lineup. It's a strikeout-to-walk ratio of only 2.67. Third time through the lineup, slightly better batting average, 221 batting average. Slightly lower on base percentage because he doesn't give up as many walks, but they do slug a little bit more off him that second time, that third time through the lineup, and it gives him a 678 OPS that third time through the lineup. But the strikeouts are there. It's a 6.00 strikeout to walk ratio. So I told you, he kind of... He does lock in a little bit that third time through the lineup. He does not give up walks late in the game. If you're getting walk, it's going to be early against him. 
So yeah, so he does get slugged a little bit harder. The OPS is a little bit higher, but I think we can all agree third time through the lineup and the batting average only climbs from 196 to 221. That's pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. I think we would take that. But unfortunately in this game, it doesn't work out that way, right? They do get him. They do get the big slug. They do get the big extra base hit. They get the big home run the third time through the lineup. Uh, I also wanted to look at run support for McKenzie because obviously uh, for most of the game, he's working with one run. They eke across another run in the eighth inning. But for most of this game, he's working with one run of support. In games where it's zero to two runs scored, uh, he uh, he's one in five in those games with a 423 ERA in seven starts where he's gotten two or less runs of support. So yeah, you can see it's hard for a guy. His whip is still really low, 0.896 whip. Still a good strikeout to walk ratio, good strikeout per nine. A number strikeout to walk ratio is 4.2 strikeouts per nine is at 8.5 when he gets three to five runs of support it's a little bit better he's two and one on the season in four starts he's got a 267 era so give him a few runs and he will lock in he'll shut things down he's got a good whip in that situation 0.963 9.3 strikeouts per nine 4.67 strikeout to walk ratio give him six plus runs scored He's unstoppable. 4-0 on the season in seven starts. He's got a 2.29 ERA. Uh, His lowest ERA, the whip climbs a little bit. 1.068. The walks climb a little bit. That's why. Maybe he gets a little too comfortable, walks a little too many guys when he's got six-plus runs of support. So the whip is slightly higher. The strikeout-to-walk ratio is slightly lower at 2.92. The strikeouts per nine fall to 8.0. But he's 4-0 in those situations. And you would expect getting six-plus runs of support. Most pitchers are going to come out on the winning side of that. But you can see, yeah, it's hard to win games when you're only getting two runs or less of support. He's 1-5 on the season. I don't know. We never know with Baseball Reference if those numbers are updated from last night's start. Baseball Reference is notoriously slow for updating their stuff uh, for the next morning, for people that do podcasts, uh, reactionary podcasts the next day. So uh, that's some details on Tristan McKenzie. Now let's get into this actual game for him. What was working for McKenzie? It was the fastball. It was the four-seam fastball that was really working and the curveball. The fastball got him some good whiffs even. Uh, Seven whiffs on 31 swings. Add in 10 called strikes, and I know some of these strikeouts we're about to look at, some of these six strikeouts are strikeouts looking. Uh, So it's a 30% CSW on that pitch. Uh, The slider didn't do much on the day. There was only one whiff on the slider. They didn't put many in play either, only three in play. However, however, there was a very important one put in play off of this pitch. And the curveball was working pretty good. Six whiffs on 13 swings. It's a 46% whiff rate on that curveball. Add in two called strikes. It's a 47% CSW on that pitch. It's a 29% CSW total on the day for McKenzie. So not an overwhelmingly dominant strikeout day for McKenzie. Not really racking up the strikes, but inducing weak contact. Average exit velocity off the fastball, 85.5. Average exit velocity off the slider, 83.5. Average exit velocity off the curveball, 85.2. I told you we'd talk about those strikeouts. Going back to the illustrator, he was just pounding the strike zone with the fastball. 
He was throwing the curveball aggressively, throwing the curveball for strikes about half the time, and then letting the bottom fall out of that pitch below the knees about half the time. He struggled with the slider. He missed with a lot of sliders up above the shoulders. Couldn't, you know, something about that pitch could not get it down in the strike zone. We got a few in that classic slider spot for a right-handed pitcher, you know, sweeping down and away to the glove side, but he left a lot of sliders up above the zone, which is weird for a slider. You think a breaking ball you'd be able to get on top of. All right, but let's look at those strikeouts. And uh, we've got curveballs and fastballs for strikeouts. Uh, He locks up Bobby Dahlbeck on the glove side on the edge of the plate with a beautiful 95-mile-per-hour fastball. He locks up Franchi Cordero with a fastball on the arm side of the plate on a 1-2 count. Uh, He got uh, Xander Bogarts to chase a fastball up over his head for a strikeout. Uh, That's a swinging strikeout there in the fourth inning, and then it's curveballs. Uh, another called strike right on the edge to Jaron Jaron Duran. That's in the first inning, just drops a 2-2 curveball right on the arm edge of the plate, and then two curveballs down. Franchi Cordero goes down and whiffs at one in the dirt, and Jeter Downs in the seventh inning goes down and whiffs at one in the dirt. So that's how McKenzie was getting his strikeouts. All right, I've, I've danced around it enough. Fine, let's talk about the home run. Let's do it because it is kind of right down the plate. It's a hanging slider. In fact, it's the one slider that actually gets into the strike zone all night. He hadn't thrown one slider, frankly, in the strike zone. Everything else, there's two sliders up at the top of the strike zone. One's called a ball. One was swung at for an out by J.D. Martinez. Uh, The rest of them are outside of the strike zone. He doesn't get another slider in the strike zone all night except for this one to Xander Bogarts and I look back at other Bogarts at bats and it's not like anything previous led into this I think it was just the third time through the lineup the first pitch is a forcing fastball right down the pipe that he fouls off then he throws him that high slider that one he can't get on top of and he actually swings through it for a strike so he's down in the count 0-2 He's trying to throw a slider away. I'm pretty sure Hedges, or actually Maley in this one, was set up down and away, which is where you expect to get a strikeout from a slider, sweeping down and away. Instead, he just spins it right down the middle of the plate. And uh, yeah, he unloads on this thing, 105 105 mile per hour exit velocity, 26 degree launch angle, 412 over the green monster, a 9-10 expected batting average. Yeah, he absolutely destroys this baseball. And that's what I would expect from a slider right down the middle of the plate. So is it something that Bogarts had seen these previously in previous at-bats? No. In fact, in his first at-bat, he throws him a lot of sliders, but he can't find the strike zone. He walks him on four straight pitches. In his next at-bat, throws him a ton of fastballs. Actually, eventually gets him to strike out on that high fastball up over his shoulders. So he goes back to the slider in this third at-bat, and it betrays him. It sits dead center of the plate. I don't think it's because he saw a fastball in the exact same location on the first pitch and fouled it off. I think this is just a hanging spinner. So he gives up the big three-run home run. He had also given up a couple of hits earlier in, obviously, there were guys on base. Uh, He had given up a leadoff single to Jeter Downs. Alex Verdugo had singled with one out. And that set up Bogarts for the big three-run home run. 
So he actually stays in the game. He gets out of it, gets out of the sixth inning, comes in and pitches the seventh inning, gives up back-to-back hits in the seventh inning. They still don't take him out. Uh, he gets Jackie Braley to ground into a double play and Jeter Downs to strike out that curveball in the dirt. That would be his final batter of the game. So overall, it is a, it's a good start for McKenzie. Uh, it's one mistake in this sixth inning. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, Dahlbeck hammers a single off the monster that drives in Franchi Cordero, who had doubled into the right center field gap in the seventh inning. All right, so maybe two mistakes. We talked about pitching Dahlbeck inside, and he comes inside with a fastball again, and Dahlbeck turns on it 103 miles per hour off the monster. Uh, if Again, if this is in Cleveland, Quan probably gets back there and catches this thing. But unfortunately, Boston, that monster was on. I, I, they say it all the time. Uh, and they said it, I caught it in the highlights, the uh, Red Sox announcers saying that the monster was on Quan's back all series. And yeah, it feels like that for left fielders who aren't used to playing out there. Um, and another one goes off the monster for an RBI for Bobby Dahlbeck in the seventh. So that's what they were doing against McKenzie. Now, while we're talking about pitching really quickly here, Karinchek comes in and pitches the eighth inning. It was a wild Karinchek eighth inning. He could not get on top of that curveball. It was raining, but it was raining the other night. I don't know if it was the rain. He kept going to the rosin bag. It was a whole thing. He was doing his whole talking to himself, cursing, screaming thing on the mound. Uh, and it just, he finally got out of the inning somehow. He gave up two walks, but he finally gets a strikeout, a called strike three on a curveball at the top of the zone. He finally gets out of it, but it's another wild Karen check inning. You're going to you're gonna have those from him. I, one night, he's going to look like an ace, and the other night, he's just not going to have any control. I, I think that's just, with his windup, that's just a thing that's going to keep happening. So, luckily, it doesn't cost us any worse. We keep keeps us in the game, gives us a chance. Uh, it was a 2-4 to four game. We got the tying run to the plate in the ninth inning, and we just can't get it done. So, speaking of can't getting it done... Let's go over to the offense because it is a ridiculously quiet day for the offense. Naylor, uh, Naylor and Ramirez tried uh, to do their best. They both had two hard hit balls on the day. Ramirez with that lone run scored early in the game. In the fourth inning, Ramirez gets one and he wraps it around pesky pole out there in right field. Uh, let's take a look at that at bat off of Cutter Crawford, the rookie. Uh, works it to a full count, and he had stayed away the entire at-bat. He never comes across the middle of the plate. He keeps everything away to Ramirez the whole at-bat and mixing up, throwing everything he's got, change-up, cutter, curve, four-seam, change-up, throwing everything he's got. He finally comes inside with a cutter to to, uh, Ramirez, and Ramirez hits it 105.4 miles per hour and wraps it around Pesky's pole. Now, was this one of those cheapo, you know, 315-foot home runs around Pesky's pole? No, he hits this thing 105.4 miles per hour, 28-degree launch angle, 413 feet, and 850 expected batting average. So, no, this was not a cheapy home run uh, around Pesky pole. Uh, maybe in Cleveland this goes foul, so there is that. But he definitely hit it. Uh, with enough juice to be considered a home run. Like, it's not a cheap home run at all. So Ramirez smokes that one for a solo shot. It did put the Guardians up one nothing. They just couldn't add anything else to it. Naylor had two good uh, doubles in this game. 
Uh, Naylor in the second inning, a leadoff double, hammers one off the monster. Uh, goes opposite field again and uses the monster as an advantage. I got to imagine if Naylor played in Boston full time, he would probably be going to the opposite field more often uh, than he does in Cleveland. He clearly sees the advantage of going off the monster. Maybe it's just the way they pitch him, but it's a leadoff double and it goes for nothing. A bump, bunt pop out from Andres Jimenez. Reyes grounds out. It does move Naylor up to third and Jones strikes out with Naylor on third base. And it would come up again in the ninth inning uh, with one out. Naylor would double again, 113 mile per hour exit velocity. He would absolutely destroy this baseball uh, towards center field. First pitch swinging. When a, well, when it's right down the middle, how can you blame him? I mean, middle, middle, right down the middle. Um, and he hits this thing into center field, gets it over Durant's head, and goes for a double with one out in the inning. Uh, Andres Jimenez would come up and uh, ground out, which would move him over to third. And then once again, Naylor stranded at third base. Fermil Reyes would ground out to the pitcher to end the game. So a lot of people were mad. Fermil Reyes up in that moment, in that final moment of the game, thought that, you know, maybe uh, this would be the moment, right? This would be the moment for Fermil Reyes. And unfortunately, he grounds out to the pitcher. Uh, it's a pretty weak swing, pretty weak contact to end the game. So it's a disappointing ending to the game. Naylor and Ramirez were trying. They they were trying to hit the ball hard. They were trying to get the offense going, but it just couldn't, just didn't seem to happen. Uh, the bottom of the order did get on. There was an inning in there where the bottom of the order kind of set things up, and uh, we couldn't make anything out of it where they both get on base. Uh, let's see, what inning was that where they were both on? This, the eighth inning. Uh, we had a chance in the eighth inning. Maley walks to kick off the inning. Straw singles. It puts runners on first and third. Maley does a good job going first to third. We were down 1-4 at that point, and we had a chance to rally here. You would just turn the lineup over with nobody out. Unfortunately, Quan hits one to first base. He steps on first base, and then they're able to double up Straw. He's able to stall enough for Maley to come in and score, so that makes it the 2-4 to four game. But unfortunately, that's a rally killer right there, hitting into the double play. If they could have got something going in that eighth inning, man, we could have had a ball game there. Unfortunately not. Uh, the Red Sox bullpen holds it down finally. Uh, Garrett Whitlock ends up getting the save in this one. And, you know, it was driving me crazy. I was like, who is the closer for Boston this year? Who is the closer? Turns out it's a cl it's a true closer by committee. Uh, Tanner Houck has the most save opportunities at seven, also the most saves at six. Schreiber has five save opportunities and three saves. Strom has six save opportunities and three saves. Whitlock has four save opportunities and three saves, including the one last night. Barnes has two saves. Uh, Hansel Robles has eight save opportunities, but only two saves. Uh, Brazier, four save opportunities, only one save. And Jake Diekman, four save opportunities and only one save. So it is a true closer by committee. Now, some of those might be weird save situations where you come in at a certain point in the game in a certain situation with runners on and uh, you end up giving up runs. So it counts as a blown save, even if it's in like the seventh inning or eighth inning. Uh, you can get a blown save that way. But it does feel like a true closer by committee going on in Boston. And this time it's Garrett Whitlock who's able to hold things down 
gets out of the eighth and then stays in there and gets through the ninth inning. So the Guardians definitely made a run at it late in the game. They add a run in the eighth and they just they strand Naylor at third base again. I really liked Naylor's swing in this one. Even though in the sixth inning, he almost goes out of the game with another back spasm. They're really going to have to keep an eye on his back. Man, that guy needs some yoga or something to loosen up that lower back. Uh, But he's able to hammer out two doubles on the day. So I guess the back calmed down. Who knows? Maybe they threw one of those Shaquille O'Neal icy hot patches on him in the locker room between innings. And uh, they were able to calm down his back. And uh, he's able to hammer another double. I mean, he hits his hardest ball of the day in that ninth inning. So whatever they did from the sixth inning to the ninth inning, they were able to calm down the lower back spasm for Naylor. I think MVP on the day, I I can't belabor this game anymore. I mean, I'm trying to squeeze every detail out of this one, but there's not much here. It's a pretty simple game. McKenzie makes one mistake in the sixth inning, and it's literally the entire ball game, right? It swings the momentum. It's an insurmountable lead for Boston. It's the entire game in one swing for Xander Bogarts. So, uh, yeah, MVP on the day. I think I'm giving it to Naylor. I th- I really like those two doubles. Even though Jose Ramirez does beat Pesky's pole, I think I'm giving it to Josh Naylor on the day for the two doubles, made it to third base twice, and just got stranded there. I mean, if they drive him in, he's he would have been a no-doubt-about-it MVP on the day. McKenzie did pitch well those first two times through the lineup. Ramirez does get that big home run, but I'm going with Josh Naylor on this one. I thought he was trying to spark the offense, and they just couldn't get it going. All right, so that's all my thoughts on this game. Uh, The last bit of news we got to talk about is MLB trade deadline stuff. Now, the deadline is a pushback a little bit further than normal. We're used to it being that last, the last few hours of July being the trade deadline, the last day of July. This time it's August 2nd. So they are going to get a chance to go through the weekend and into next week uh, to figure out some trades. So that might be why you're not hearing of any trades. So it's going to end Tuesday. I'm guessing at 4 p.m. Usually it's 4 p.m. August 2nd at 6 p.m. this time. Okay, 6 p.m. Uh, August 2nd. So they're going to have through most of the day on Tuesday to still hammer out trades. And that's probably why we haven't heard of many trades. I mean, Ben Attendee has left Kansas City and he's gone to New York. We didn't talk about this the other day. Uh, remember, Kansas City at one time was considered the uh, the other minor league team for the New York Yankees. Back in like the 50s, uh, in 60s, there was some there was some shady stuff going on between the ownership in Kansas City and the ownership in New York, where they would basically pass players back and forth from Kansas City to New York whenever New York needed some help. So they joked that New York had a 50-man roster. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of jokes made at Kansas City's expense back then. So it's weird to see a trade between Kansas City and New York again. But hey, they needed outfield help, and the Yankees got it with Andrew Benatendi. So the former Red Sox is now stuck a New York Yankee. Uh, I wonder how he felt about that, uh, you know, starting his career in Boston. And then the other one, both New York teams busy. Uh, The Mets go out and they get two players from the Reds. They get Tyler Naquin uh, and uh, reliever Philip Deal, uh, the lefty. So uh, for two minor leaguers. uh, So yeah, so the Mets, both New York teams have pulled off trades. They're not really the blockbusters that people are keeping their eyes on. Uh, But yeah, there have been rumors that the Guardians have been 
shopping some of their starting pitching, their controllable starting pitching. And then there's also been rumors that the entire AL Central, the Twins, Guardians, and White Sox are all out there looking for starting pitching. So the Guardians' names has popped up in some rumors, but frankly, it's all quiet right now at the trade deadline. I mean, two somewhat, you know, middle-of-the-road moves by the two New York franchises, but it hasn't really kicked off a trade frenzy. Teams like Pittsburgh and Oakland haven't really started unloading their controllable players. So we'll see... We'll see who in the AL Central is the first to break this stalemate, right? Which AL Central team makes the first move at the trade deadline? That's what we're keeping our eyes on here on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. So that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me. Unfortunately, you know, we had a chance to win the series in Chicago. We had a chance to win this series in Boston. We split the series, which again, in a four-game series, it's hard to do. It's hard to win the series in a four-game series. We got a three-game set coming up against Tampa Bay. It's going to be Bieber on the mound against Springs for the Rays uh, at a 7 o'clock start. And then you get 1 o'clock starts the rest of the afternoon. Plesak is going up against Kluber on Saturday. It's going to be Plesak against Kluber. It's going to be really fun to face Corey Kluber again. He's 6-6 six six with a 3-9-1 ERA in the season, so doing all right down there in Tampa Bay. And then on Sunday, it hasn't been announced yet. I think that's the Savali spot. I thought it was going to be Saturday, but apparently it's Sunday. That's the Savali spot in the, in the rotation. So are they going to call up someone from AAA? Are they going to do the Brian Shaw bullpen game again? We'll see. What happened Sunday? I think it's telling that Brian Shaw hasn't gotten into a game since that, since he made that start. So we'll see what happens. Uh, although, how long has it been uh, since he made that start? Yeah, that was two days ago. Quantrill started yesterday. So yeah, that was the 26th when Shaw uh, did his thing. So yeah, if he hasn't, he didn't get in the game last night. So yeah, he hasn't gotten in the game since. We'll see if he gets used in Tampa Bay or they save him to open on Sunday again. Uh, All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Boston. It's the Red Sox 4, the Guardians 2. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.